Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Welcome back. Tonight, and for tonight, we're going to continue our series, our lecture. And last night, and, and the previous night, yeah, last night, uh, we looked at the character of God in light of this question. But we concluded that in light of all of the characteristics of God, he cannot possibly be the problem, even though the answers to the question lies at his feet. So today we're going to start where we left off with this quote, if love requires freedom, and if the rejection of God's love is itself evil, then love requires the possibility of evil. And this notion of good and evil is a concept that is ingrained in our conscience individually and collectively as a society, as a world. This notion that there is good in your life is evident because you have experienced it. But philosophers have said that very fact that there is good in your life and when evil presents itself is an evidence that good is real. In other words, you cannot have evil without there be a corresponding good. Good can exist without evil, but evil can exist without contrasting itself to good. In other words, in evil and suffering, the very notion that we know there is pain and suffering is because we have good to compare it to. And that good is God. So you begin to see that evil, in a sense, proves that there is a God. Because you can only know pain and suffering and evil because you contrast that to the fact that there is a God who is love, who's good, who's perfect. And the question we're after is why the contrast? And today we look at a couple of modern illustrations of the fact that this concept of good and evil is ingrained in us. Real quickly, some pictures from pop culture and society at large, but that have this theme of good and evil, good versus bad, one team versus another team. And here's a very famous story. Some of you may or may not know, but this is from Star Wars, right? And the whole thing is the battle between the force and the dark side. And the reason this storyline captivates most people is because they wonder who's going to win. And all movies have this ingrained. There's never a movie you watch that the plot is hunky-dory all the way through and then it ends. There's always some trouble, some suffering, some pain, some problem that needs to be solved because we know intellectually and in our hearts that there is a battle raging even within ourselves. And so here you have the good side versus the dark side. Even in other religions, 
this concept of yin and yang. And although we don't believe in this, or even though we don't believe in this, because there is no evil in God, but it's this balancing act that yin and yang talks about. Because inside we know there's always this battle raging. We see it in sports, last year's Super Bowl. If you're a Bengal fan, the Rams were evil. And if you were a Rams fan, the Bengals were evil. And you rooted against them. And the concept is, is that the game's not over until somebody wins. And in this battle that we're trying to decipher, why does God allow evil and suffering? There has to be an end to this at some point. And we've been promised by the God we learned of yesterday that there's going to be at end some point. The problem we catch ourselves in is that we would love for it to end already. Especially when we're in the middle of pain and suffering. Other religions have the concept of good versus bad karma. And they live, you know, under this guidance. Painfully aware that it is a reality. And even ourselves who are Christian sometimes use this language. If somebody cuts you off on the highway and then you see them get a speeding ticket later, you kind of laugh and glee and, and it's this concept, right? But the Bible has a similar concept, right? Which is you reap what you sow. So. <clears throat> and so it's collectively in our individual conscious and in our collective conscious and obviously a picture that is a caricature but more to the reality is that we always seem to have these two voices bidding us to follow it that extra piece of chocolate cake you shouldn't have on thanksgiving or that desire to cheat on an exam that you need the a for or to leave off a zero on your taxes. Temptation is not a sin, but the very fact that temptation is there shows that there is a battle raging on, and we see it depicted in popular culture. I remember the first time I saw something like this was in Tom and Jerry, right? The little cartoon. It's even taught in cartoons, this notion of of good and evil. Now getting more biblical, the Bible tells us that there is a battle between Christ and Satan. Last night we looked at God's character who is behind the scenes of our lives. And the truth is, right, that there is another major character behind the scenes of our reality. You know, something in pop culture that is popular these days is... Not only, let's say, if you go to a concert or to a movie show or something, they sell you an upcharge of if you pay the extra money or the extra ticket, we'll take you behind the scenes and you can meet the artist or you can meet whoever it is. There is a natural curiosity in humanity to want to know beyond what we see, what is taking place in the victorious locker room before they open it up to the meeting. What is happening in the lives of movie stars behind the scenes? And so tonight, or last night we looked at God and tonight we'll look a little bit more behind the scene at the character of Satan. 
But yesterday we said that God is love. And that is his description. And we will find out later on the meaning of John 15, 13 that says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life. In light of this question, we will find out that part of the solution to this is that God took all the evil and the suffering upon himself, first and foremost. But now we're going to look at the other God and what freedom of the will has to do with all of it. I like this picture. You know, when I think of angels, I think of them as majestic warriors. And there was a created being named Lucifer who has now turned as an adversary against God. And if you're the most powerful being in the universe, if you have all the power, wisdom, and knowledge, and you have been running the universe perfectly, then any rebellion against your power and might can be easily crushed at any moment. But what would stop you from ruling at your discretion immediately is if the question then becomes about your character and not your power. If you have all the power in your household as the parent, but your kid calls Child Protective Services, then some of your power will be limited until the investigation is complete, even though you may be 100% innocent. And so there was an accusation because this fallen being could not destroy God with power. He had to make an accusation. And the Bible tells us that there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon, the dragon and his angels wage war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to earth. So there was a parting of the ways. We know this story. But perhaps we'll look at different differently here in a couple of seconds. So now he's here on earth. And if you notice that when he's here in Eden, how big was his jurisdiction before sin? It was tiny. He could only be at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But after sin, that jurisdiction was flipped. And all God has to work with is a small nation that was the smallest of all of them. While he is then known as what? The prince of this world. Adam and Eve gave dominion over to this fallen being. And so where God and Adam and Eve had dominion over the world, and there was the power to choose, and we'll talk about the power of choice tomorrow night, Satan was confined to a small area. When sin came in, that flipped, and now God and his providence are confined to a small people who were not the best, the brightest, and that's all God had to work with to disprove our question. Why does God allow? So the servants, so the servants, this is the parable. Where Jesus, well, we'll read it. 
So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said, An enemy has done this. So in this parable, Jesus is saying that God made the world good and that the fact that there is tares is not falling upon him. An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, and I'm going to twist the words a little. We have the original here just to bring out a point. The servant said to him, do you want us then to stop suffering and pain and take the good people out of it for the moment? But actually, he says, do you want us to then go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat. Let both grow together until the characters of God and Satan are complete. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to my readers, see, right now, in the midst of this suffering and pain, there is perhaps decided in your mind already that God can be trusted. But in the mind of many in the world today, they have to decide whether God can be trusted or the enemy is right about God. You know, I was in court the last 10 days or 10 days, and there is this notion stressed upon the jurors and to the lawyers that the lawyers cannot try to make the jurors bias. In other words, you cannot testify on behalf of your client. You have to ask basically yes and no questions with very little elaboration because if the defendant or the plaintiff tries to justify themselves or tries to give more than the question was asked, you are tending to bias the jury, which is part of the reason in this battle between good and evil, and we will learn more about the parameters of which God can act in and Satan can act in, that neither of them can bias the jurors, you and I. This is why God doesn't just show up in our lives physically and tell us it's going to be all right. Because Satan says, if you do that, and we see it, and we'll see it more in the story of Job, God never tells Job why he suffers. Because Satan's accusation was, you don't, they only worship you because you bias the witness. You give them everything they want. And that's why they say your kingdom is the best kingdom. But when sin came in, this world was flipped. And now God could only act in a small circle. Like a mustard seed, his kingdom had to grow in light of the pain and suffering. Going back. So God says, look, no, no. I planted good seed. The pain and suffering, an enemy has done this. First gather together the tares and bind them in the barn. Burn them, but gather the wheat the barn. There's going to come a reckoning time when all of the pain and suffering will make sense. And those who have trusted in God through it will be gathered and have satisfactory 
Now we're going to look at Satan and his motive. In Ezekiel chapter 28, which as we know is a description of Satan, there's these two verses. We're not going to look at the whole chapter, but there's these two verses and two words. It says, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence with, and you sinned. This is talking about Lucifer. Now, have you ever asked yourself, what, was, what were they trading? Was it baseball cards, stocks, music? Right. This translation really doesn't do, do it justice for the root meaning of the word. And before I give you the root meaning of the word, here it is again, as the reason why he sinned or was part of the reason why. In verse 18, the first one was 28:16. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. There's that word again. And remember, Satan cannot, you'd be dumb to fight someone who you know can beat you up physically. So the only other way is to impugn on his character. And so the word behind trading is actually, by. let me read it the way it should be read. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your slander, you were defiled. Throughout heaven, he began slandering the name of God. And he was trading that slander for allegiance for himself and not for God. And now in a universe that was planted by God as good, an enemy has sown the seed of tares by not physically challenging the power of God, but rather challenging his character. See, if you are a bully and you are bullying somebody, the person being bullied knows they're being bullied. And at some point they might stand up and stand up to the bully and fight back. And in most stories, they finally win and triumph. But what happens if the bully's not a physical bully, but has you mentally deceived? That was Satan's accusation. You think he's good. You think he wants the best for you. Everything seems to be fine, but there's more that he's hiding from you. And this was the story that he used on Adam and Eve, but he also used to uh, the angels. And how do we know this? Well, I don't have the verse, but remember when Jesus shows up to demons and they say, we know who you are, the Holy Son of God. Have you come now to torture us? They use that word. Where did they get the concept that the Son of Man will torture them? It's because they believed the lie of the slander who said God is not, and I can run the universe better than he can. I just need a time and place to show the universe that I can do it better than God and that he's withholding from me. So at that point, it's not might for might. God has to allow Satan to basically hang himself. And he cannot override Satan as much as he possibly could because then the accusation would stick that you're a tyrant. 
and everything has to be your way or the highway. And so that lie he used on our first parents. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Who said you would? God did. Was God telling the truth? Yes. Was God telling them to stay from the tree for their benefit? Yes. Was God acting in a loving manner as he is? Yes. But Satan said, for God knows that in the day you eat, your eyes will be open. He didn't say God was lying, at least overtly. He dropped an insinuation. Why don't kids not like going to bed? Because they think the parents are staying up eating all the ice cream and having cookies and, and doing all the fun stuff, right? They're, the parents are withholding from us, that which is good. We got a parent there. And so Adam and Eve, well, yes, both of them, Adam and Eve, began to, to, to question the motives of God, not his power, not his strength, not what he gave them. It wasn't that he didn't give them good stuff. It's that they were wondering now, is there more that he can give us? Is there things he's withholding from us? So we know how this went. They trusted the enemy and they questioned the moral authority of God in that moment. And we do it all the time. Collectively, we blame everything on God. Hurricane hits and it was an act of God. A child dies a horrific death and we blame God. But God has told us and has done this. And I, in my wisdom, perfect knowledge, and in the fact that our fathers, Adam and Eve, have abdicated jurisdiction, there are limits to what I can do at the moment because I can't bias. Have you noticed that in some of the gospel stories, Jesus' power to heal is limited because of either lack of faith or the will of others. Jesus is all good. He wants to do everything that's best. But there are limiting factors during this phase of the battle between good and evil that are part of the fact that we abdicated control of this planet. God has all the power. He is perfect. He runs the universe in perfect manner. But when his moral authority is questioned, he can't respond in power. And so that's the dilemma God finds us. If you find yourself in a jury, bribing the jury, is that moral? Yes or no? No, right? You can't morally bribe the jury. Would it be moral if God did? God operates by evidence, not demonstration. And so does the enemy. That's part of this arrangement during this time. Satan doesn't just show up in front of us, neither does God. Neither of them can bias the jury because in reality, the one who's on trial is God himself. God is the one on trial. So look at some of the characteristics. Now we gave some of the motives he uses to kind of to, to bias or no, to put a limit on what God can do, even though God is the one 
totally in control. But he kind of, in a sense of agreed to certain limits during this because his power is made perfect in what? In weakness. When the earth flipped from Adam and Eve to Satan, and now when Satan was held in a small area, now God is held in a sense with a small people. But he takes that small seed, he takes that weakness, and answers this question of before I read this, I, I need to ask you this question. Have you ever wondered what Satan's goal for your life is? And yes, it ends in death, but he has a different goal for each one of you. And here's why. And by the way, I listened to that, and I'm going to use it. There's this notion of a ripple effect. And so if you have a newborn baby, and Satan causes a car accident, for the most part, in the immediate, only the parents are affected. Let's say the parents didn't have extended family, just the parents in the immediate. And so the ripple effect is small. But what happens if I, I pick on pastors, and, well, let me pick on a, a, a more popular pastor. Let's say Doug Batchelor or Dwight Nelson is found to be having a criminal double life. And then it comes out and people know whose life will negatively affect you. And so his influence will cause more people to doubt the goodness of God than someone who dies in obscurity. And so Satan has a specific plan that he wants for your life because all of us influence a circle, a ripple effect circle of people that you and I will never cross. The same ripple effect. The same circle of influence. That's why what he wants for you is different than what he wants for me. But his characteristic ends in death. And he will use any means necessary to get you on his team. And that's why the Bible describes him as you are of your father the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He's talking to the Pharisees. Those on team Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is how much? No truth. I, don't, I copied and pasted. No truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. How do you know the devil is speaking? I mean, lying? His mouth is moving. And so there's no truth in him, and he is a liar. So wherever that temptation leads you to violate the goodness of God, then you can be rest assured an enemy has done this. The thief does nothing except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life. So two aspects. I planted the good seed. An enemy has done this. One comes to kill to steal, kill, and destroy. The other one comes to give abundant life. But neither of them can bias the jury. They have to do it through providence, through Satan, through manipulation, God through his providence, where each of them give us sufficient evidence, and we have to decide who's telling us the truth. But not just intellectually. You tell, you testify of who's telling the truth by how you live your life in the midst of the pain and suffering. Be sober, of sober spirit.
be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like... Going back to this concept of Adam and Eve giving up jurisdiction, where does a lion, not in captivity, obviously, but where does a lion roam? Wherever he wants. Why? <clears throat> because he's powerful. Because he can... Nothing will challenge him. Not even God in the sense of power. Power for power. God has to win this in a different way. And so on earth, since this is his jurisdiction, partially, he roams around anywhere he wants. Now, do you think Satan plays by the rules? The answer is no. In a courtroom setting, when the lawyer tries some trick or some question that is out of line, either the judge or well, not the judge, the other lawyer will say objection. And the judge will decide whether they can carry on on that line of thinking or they have to change their thing. And we see throughout scripture and throughout evident in our lives that there is a lot of pain and suffering, but there are times that God intervenes considering God's courtroom objection at that point. And we'll see an example of it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Let me ask you a question. We've read this as Adventists a whole bunch of times, right? And we understand it. But have we ever stopped to dig deeper at the fact that it says, uh, but against principalities, rulers, against power? If you have power, or if you are a ruler, then that means you have what? A certain jurisdiction of which you have made the rules for, of which then somebody cannot violate until it's proven in this case that God then has the moral authority, as we saw in the parable of the wheat and the tares, that he will gather them up and then destroy them. But for the time being, in this battle between good and evil, Satan has some rules and jurisdiction. We're on his playground, not God's. And God can't bias the witness. He can't bias the jury by getting you out of your problem every single time you have it. By coming in like Superman and saving the day every single time in the lives of every single individual. Because if it was clear cut, that those who worship God never have anything go wrong. And those who do not, there will be people in the do not group who will try to come over simply because they see that God has biased the Jew. But not out of appreciation for God. No wonder, the Bible says, for Satan disguises as an angel of light. Can God lie? He only tells the truth. But if you look at this in light of what we've been saying today, a disguise in essence is a what? A lie. This guy will do whatever it takes within a certain agreed parameter that he can't go beyond. We see it in the story of Job. He took away his family, then he touched him, but God said you can't kill him. An agreed parameter. And Satan entered into Judas who was called Iscariot, belonging to the... He used a serpent for Adam and Eve. He disguises himself as an angel of light. 
And if you let him, he'll come into your life and use you to bias the other jurors against God. He did it with Judas. He did it with one intimate in his own group. The betrayal came from inside his own 12 disciples. Just like the ultimate betrayal of Satan came right from in front of the throne of God. The covering angel at the right hand of God. Because love demands freedom. Freedom has made all this complicated. But turning around and seeing his disciple, he reader and said, Get, for you're not setting your mind up. The distinction is that in Judas, he took him completely over to the point where Judas was so biased against God that he believed Satan and believed that God would not forgive him and he took his own life. But in this instance, it was temporary that Satan took control of the thoughts of Peter and tried to get Jesus to not fulfill his mission. So you can be possessed or temporarily persuaded by the enemy. And we see it in Peter. Satan has power in this earth, jurisdiction. So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has what? In his jurisdiction, to a certain degree, he has that power. If we let him, but he hasn't. And he's constantly attacking, knocking at your door for you to let him in. And so this woman was bound by Satan in his jurisdiction. But in this case, God objected and loosed her, set her free. And I see it as a glimpse that one day he will set this whole planet free. And we will enjoy a Sabbath rest for all eternity. Sometimes... We allow him in. Afterward, Jesus found them in the temple and said, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens. The choices we make, we'll study that some more to have a lot in this. Remember, God planted the good seed. An enemy has done this. And when we sin, we side with the enemy. And he will never hold up his end of the bargain. For he has come to steal, kill. Now look at this. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. Sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not. There is so much in this verse. Ultimately, God is in control. He's not responsible for evil. He planted the good seed. But the questions of why he allowed it do are answered at his feet. But look at this. Satan has what? When in jury, the lawyers exchange evidence and they ask each other permission to submit evidence into the court or to present it before the jury. If there's a disagreement, they go behind the scenes, hash it out before they show anything to the jury. So here we see a glimpse in this context of behind the scenes, <clears throat> there is no place in, in the gospel where, you, where it describes Satan physically asking physically Jesus for this. But it must have happened behind the scenes that Satan asked 
that he may sift you as wheat. In other words, Peter's going to go through a time of suffering and pain. And if you haven't gotten it yet, what is the implication in this verse? That God granted in his wisdom and in his might. He granted. Satan has jurisdiction in this planet to a certain degree, but there are certain things he cannot cross. He could not kill Job. And in this answer, we see part in this verse, we see part of the give and take in the backroom dealings of this heavenly court that he had to ask permission to sift Peter as, as wheat. And God granted. Yep, the rules of engagement. So that means some of the trouble you've been going through, God gave permission for you to go through. But on the flip side, if God allowed it, that he could turn all things together for good for those who love him. It's right here. Satan asked. And if God would not give permission in everybody's life, then he is proving Satan right that that God rules as a dictator and that free will is just lip service and we really do not serve him out of love for him. Satan asked. <clears throat> there is a limit to his power. But in this case, and in some of the suffering we, well, in all of the suffering we have been through, God has allowed permission, just like in the story of Job. But there's more. God knew, but I have prayed for you, praise God, he intercedes for us, that your faith should not fail. But the implication is, and when you have returned, you can't return from a place you've never been to. So God knew that Peter would betray him. He prophesied that Peter's faith would fail. But God also knew that Peter would return when given the chance. And so you and I fall all the time. We sin all the time. But he says, by grace, I can pick you up, dust you off, and keep molding you and shaping you into the free will character that will live with me for all eternity. Because that is what you want without any bias or prejudice. God granted, we will elaborate more on this notion tomorrow night. But I want to end with, if God has been accused of being immoral, of not wanting the best for his creation, by being, quote unquote, a dictator who's withholding the good from us, then you can't fight that physically might for might that is why in essence god is the one on trial that is why god's approach to this problem of pain and suffering is summed up in this little phrase love with lucifer what is the average lifespan 80 years in light of eternity what is 6,000 years in light god is patient with the pain and the suffering of this but soon and very soon, his patience for our pain. There will be a people, there will be a people, individuals, and a collective group who on their own examination of the evidence will recognize that God, but we have to make that, and we'll look more tomorrow night deeper at the rules of engagement. I wasn't going to use the word to tomorrow night, but at the rules of engagement between God and you keep the picture of a courtroom.
the lawyers cannot always show all the evidence to the jury for it was biased. That's what's happening. But in the end, as I've said, each and through the pain and the darkness, and you will come out of it. Thank God. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your We saw your character last night. We the Satan, the enemy is up. Father, we've spoken of the rules of engagement. And we see that Satan could only go so far. But your character is on trial. And we want to be witnesses to tell the world that God can be trusted. Thank you for listening to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast. You can find us at woodlandsadventist.org and you can visit us anytime. You're more than welcome. God bless you and have a great day.